It'll be a lot of fun. Actually, really grateful for everybody that has been contributing to this series. It's been a blessing for me uh, to sit and to learn at their feet. I'm just so grateful for a church that wants to hear. I mean, one of the things that I love is um, there are just many of you that have wanted to hear the, uh, the truth about these very difficult topics, and I hope we've done a good job. Number one, uh, we just desire to speak the truth about who God is. Um, and you probably have noticed at the end of every message, we try to say, and we want to continue the faith conversation. Let's continue the faith conversation. Let's have conversations about this because there's just no way. I mean, I'm about to talk, not about divorce, I'm actually talking about the gospel and specifically what Jesus teaches about divorce in one of his gospels, Matthew, uh, Matthew's gospel, chapter 19. We're going to be looking at nine verses in there. But it's a much bigger issue. It's a much bigger picture. And even after I'm done speaking, it's allowing the text to continue to work in our hearts and our minds, molding and shaping and changing us. So it's not a matter of sit, listen, hear, go on. It's much more, much more uh, intricate. And so, as you know, on a regular basis, we are pleading with you, don't walk that way, walk this way. If the Spirit is tugging at your heart, if you, if you feel like God um, has, has put some burdens on your heart that you wanna be prayed with or prayed over or talked with, then please, let's continue the conversation. So we do that all the time. Um, we, we love the idea of questions and asking them and then trying to answer them. And so we've got a podcast that uh, has been going alongside. It's, it actually kind of runs independent of this series. But for this series and its importance, we thought, no, we needed some more time to talk about this. And so we've had a special message uh, conversation that's been happening on each of them. And if you just go to SoundCloud and look up Consider This Question, you can pick up that podcast. And so we have them on manhood, womanhood, uh, singleness, sexuality, marriage, and we did one on this topic today as well for divorce. Um, also, we don't want you to feel as though, um, we, we live in a, a day and an age when confidentiality and anonymity is like just huge. I just love being anonymous. Um, so I get the complexities of that. When we talk about being anonymous and being anonymous and being anonymous, then sometimes many of us are like frozen. I have no idea how to even ask for help. So used to being anonymous. I just, I don't even know how to walk through that process. Well, you might have some questions that did not get answered and maybe they're very particular. We weren't able to, there's no way we could deal with all of the nuanced changes or, or differences that happened in our lives. And so if you just text the word question, to this number, um, you'll go to a, you'll get a link and it'll actually it'll take you to a place where you can type out your question and you can either have someone contact you or someone can answer you. So if you would like, not just on today's topic, but on any of these ones that we've had, we want to continue the faith conversation so that you're not left alone, wondering or confused in any way, shape or form. And so uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 19. Uh, the two of all of our topics, manhood, womanhood, sexuality, singleness, marriage, and divorce, the two that probably speak most about this text or from this text are the issue of singleness and divorce. So I get to literally walk through here and say, well, let's just teach the text. Let's see what Jesus himself teaches about this particular topic of, of, of divorce. But let's be honest. I mean, we can just get a sense like, wow, this is an important topic. This is a topic that has in some way, I would argue, deeply affected most likely everybody in this room. Everybody in this room has somehow not just been affected, but I would say deeply affected. A close friend, you yourself, your parents, your children, every one of us has probably been, been affected somehow by this. And I also know that this becomes one of those moments when you're at church 
and, uh, and it, it just feels like, wow, my, my head's getting hot. Can, is everybody looking at me? I think he's talking about me. Um, it's clearly one of, those, uh, one of those days. And so I just thought it'd be good for us to do this. I want you to just kind of take a look to the left and to the right of you. I'm serious. I don't do this a lot. Take a look to the left or the right. Pick, pick one of them, okay? And then say, um, he's talking about me today. I want you to say that to the people around you. He is talking about me. Say that. He's talking about me. So now there's no confusion, right? You don't have to say, is Jim talking about me? No, I am. I'm talking, really, about you. Now, here's the other thing is, okay, so you've already said he's talking about me, and so you've, you've now kind of gone through that. Now we've got to do the other one. Again, looking left and right, as it, and I want you to say to them, he's talking about you. He's talking about you. <laughs> now, why is that important? Why is that important? And here's why it's important. It's not just, and now all of a sudden, nobody will know who, we're, who I'm talking to. No. For those of you that already are feeling like the spotlight is shining on you, that didn't take care of it. But it does remind us that whenever we open up the scriptures, whenever we seek to find out what God has to say, whether it really seems to be directed rightly at us or directly at us, um, or it seems to be nuanced and we're just trying to pick up kind of hints and shadows Every biblical text, every biblical text is speaking to you. Every biblical text is speaking to me. So just because you don't have this directly in your life, it's not you, you're not divorced, um, doesn't mean that this topic or this issue doesn't apply to you. It actually does. It applies to all of us. Jesus wants all of us to know this truth. Jesus wants us to know, how do we understand who God is and God's plan for us? So whether it is manhood or womanhood, and it doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman, sexuality for all of us, the issue of singleness, even though I'm not single, that's not, that's not the point. The point is I need to know what is God's plan and God's intent. And then I begin to understand not only my brothers and sisters and maybe what they're either going through, or, but I even get a bigger understanding of who God is and what God is doing in my own life. Every text speaks to us. Every text speaks to us. You know, it's kind of interesting. Um, I don't get this all the time from my lovely wife, but today, in light of the topic, you know, she texted me this morning kind of early. Uh, hey, just want you to know I'm praying for you, and I'm not just for me, but for us, for our time together. I've had people stop me in the lobby and say, hey, I know what you're speaking on in a couple of weeks, and just want you to know I won't be there. I think some of, them were, some of them were kidding. I see some of you, by the way, so I know you were kidding. Um, others said to me um, as early as this morning, like right in the middle of worship, hey, go easy on me today. And this is a tough one, isn't it? It matters a lot, and, and, and I want you to understand that like, since I am talking about the biblical text and what Jesus says, as much as I deeply desire for everyone to feel a sense of, of, of peace and comfort and support, more than that, I have actually some, some bigger issues that I am concerned about. So here are some of the deep concerns that I have this morning. I've asked God, God, give me like your words, give me your understanding, give me uh, a way to describe this and a way to speak about this, that those who are hurting will feel support because my concern is, is that you won't. You'll hear me talk about divorce and all you hear is divorced people, me, divorced people, me. I'm really not not here to just talk about divorced people. Actually, the text is different than that. And there will be many of you that are hurting 
and will not feel the support that you need. And I don't even know if a, a sermon or even a moment like this can accomplish that. We, we, we love you and it, it, it hurts us too. Here's another concern that I have is that there will be a number of people who we need to be convicted at a moment like this about struggles and difficulties and failures in your past or maybe a trajectory that you are currently on. And there should be some Holy Spirit conviction, some word of God conviction, and you will walk away still feeling excused for the way that you're living your life or some decisions that you've made even in your past. That concerns me. What concerns me, maybe the most actually, interestingly enough, if I could just be honest, what concerns me the most is that as a church, we will continue to know what is right and then fail to do it. It astounds me, but we, we talk like this all the time. Hey, listen, I know what God wants me to do. I, I know that God wants me to stay in my marriage. I know that God wants me to do this because of my vows, but you know what, he's driving me crazy. I just can't do it anymore. Like, I know it's clearly wrong, but I'm just gonna do it. I hear this all the time from some of the most in their minds, spiritual people. I know what God wants me, and I'm not just even on the topic of marriage and divorce. I know what God wants. I know what God wants about that. I know I should have this attitude about the election. I know I should have this attitude about my sexuality. I know I should have this attitude, but you know what? It doesn't matter. I'm gonna take an alternative route. And it's almost like I'm going to go ahead and knowingly choose to disobey God. I've had people look me in the eye and say, I know what God wants, but I wanna be happy. Yeah, that's, that's so what God doesn't want. God doesn't want you to be happy. You're right. This is not the way it is intended to be for us. But as followers of Jesus Christ, we need to, whether we understand it or not, whether we fully agree with it or not, there comes a moment in time when each one of us has to look at the word of God and say, I trust it more than I trust me. Can you do that? I mean, it's hard, I promise you. It's really, really difficult, but the biggest concern that I have is that we are going to continue to say, I know, I know, blah, 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 blah. I know what is right, I know what God wants, but there's something deeply broken in that. So those are our concerns. These are three mistakes I wanna make sure that we don't do today, and I wanna challenge you on. I see these mistakes being constantly made by good Christian people. I assume that that's the majority of you that I'm speaking to today. Good, good, good Christian folk who at some level love and want to follow God, who at some level are interested in what he has to say, who at some level are really com committed and dedicated to, uh, to allowing your life to be shaped like Jesus. But there's a lot of us in this room, right? And I see these mistakes being constantly made in Christian community. The first one is when topics of divorce come up, and it could fit other topics as well, abortion or some, some sexual orientation or sexual uh, gender identification issues. Um, there, there's so many different examples and so many different exceptions that what we usually do is we create some kind of true but extremely rare situation way out here on the fringe. Are you telling me? And then you create this bizarro example where clearly there's, there's an exception. That's, that's the exception to the rule. That's why they call it the exception to the rule and not the rule. And then after making this exception, then you then take that permission and you bring it back into the normal life. I've met a number of people on this issue of divorce. So you're telling me that God wants me to always stay in a marriage no matter what. Actually, that's not what I said. 
Well, what about a person who, and I will say, are you? Well, no, but what about a person who? Well, tell you what, let's go talk to that person and we'll figure out what to do. We don't wanna deal with like, what about me? What about my circumstances? We do this all the time. We create this crazy exception. Abortion has one, sexual orientation has one, and, and then we act like that's the norm. That's just, that's just not even good thinking. There are exceptions, so hear me. There are exceptions. The Bible's even gonna describe that. That's not what I'm talking about this morning. And be careful taking exceptions and then pretending you're one. You might be one, but everybody thinks they're the exception. Really? Do you, know what, you understand the problem with that? Every one of us is the exception? It's like 86% of people think they're smarter than everybody else? Just try to do the math. No, there's norm for a reason, okay? Next, be very careful believing what I like to refer to as the 50-50 myth. There really is, a, what I hear, about, I hear this all the time, well, it's, it's always 50-50, it's always 50-50. See, that's, that's a way for us to, in a very cowardly way, not get involved, not really know what's going on, and not making any judgments. Now hear me, I, I, if what you're saying by 50-50 is that Andrea's got some problems and I've got some problems, then we totally agree with you. Right, Andrea's not perfect and I'm not perfect. Is that what you're trying to say? I got Bible verses that say that. We, we use the 50-50 rule actually to just kind of alleviate this any kind of guilt from anyone. Well, everyone's kind of messed up and so now let's make decisions that might even continue to propagate the hurt that is existing. Well, it takes 50-50 What's interesting is that the more that I speak to the ones who are deeply hurt or deeply troubled or deeply broken or deeply abused, deeply neglected, have been deeply um, uh, mistreated, and they, 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 they don't even know how to speak, it's like, I, don't, I guarantee you this, I'm, it's, it wasn't 50-50 for me. I guarantee that the majority of us, if not all of us, when we're in conflict with somebody else, we don't go, it's 50-50. Do we? It's not 50-50. It's like 90-10 and I'm the 10, right? And the real truth is to deal with very specific situations, which is what the church has to do at some level. It's just kind of a bit of a cowardice. Well, it's 50-50, let's not even talk about it anymore. We did the 50-50 thing, we all know everybody's broken and so let's 50-50. No, I've seen some marriages where it's way more, again, I would even say like 100-0. Now the person that contributed zero to the, to, the, to the problem is still a broken person. I'm not saying they're perfect. I'm not saying they're flawless. I'm not saying they made no mistakes. I'm just saying, do you realize what the kind of, the kind of inappropriate, I'm, I'm all for appropriate shame and appropriate guilt when we sin. Okay, the Holy Spirit actually works through that. I am, I am, I am deeply bothered by the inappropriate, and think about the inappropriate shame and guilt that is put on people where all we just say is 50-50. It's all 50-50. It's all 50-50. There are so many of you right now that are carrying around like a, a burden too heavy for you to carry that God never wanted you to carry in the first place. So I, let's, let's, let's admit we're all broken, we've all made mistakes, and let's not be cowards and play this 50-50 game. The last thing, and I've done this on other topics as well, um, the older I get, the more deeply concerned I am about this statement don't make this mistake. Don't ever promise the support to people no matter what. 
I hear that all the time. I'm going to support you no matter what. I'm going to support you no matter what you do. It's one of the dumbest statements I've ever heard. And it is unbelievably godless. It is satanic. I will support you no matter what. What's fascinating to me is that when I look in these situations, and I'll I'll keep it in the context of marriage, I see this all the time. I can't deal with my spouse anymore. I'm just gonna totally give up on them. So they're not supporting the relationship anymore. And people then gather around this person who's already given up on someone, and what are they saying? We're never gonna give up on you. They're not even promising that to the one they actually made that promise to. And again, we'll, we'll deal with the, what the text says. But it's fascinating to me. I, 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 have, I love to ask this question. It's probably more likely to come from a female voice than from a male voice. But in the midst of a very real and difficult marriage that looks like it's on the end, it's on the brink, it's on the edge, it's going over the cliff. And I ask this question, what would your kids have to do for you to abandon them? And you know what she says to me? Nothing. There is absolutely nothing my kids could do that would ever have me walk away from them. Sounds noble, doesn't it? But what I find fascinating is, is that the, there is one person in this world I have given that vow to. Not three children, not four children. I've given it to one person, my wife. She's the only one I've ever said, no matter what, and even the no matter what there is still in line with God's word, right? And I hear moms and dads say all the time, there's nothing my kids, nothing my kids could do that would ever have me walk away from them. Oh man, if only their father had that same deal with you. If only their mother had that same plan. Do you see how broken we are? How messed up we are. I hear these statements all the time. You know, she's a really good mom. You know, other than the fact that she's abandoned us and forsaken her marital vows, she's really a good mom. Like, other than the fact that, or other than the fact that he's a really good dad, he's really good with the kids. Really good with the kids. Like, do you understand what you're saying? Without, I mean, again, I'm not trying to, that the, the name calling isn't necessary, but we can't even speak the truth. We can't even think like true thoughts about it. And again, I'm not talking about all divorces. I'm not talking about all circumstances, but it is so important that we come back and we, we, don't, we don't play the silly games of, hey, listen, I know this is an exception and I want to claim it. Listen, I know everybody's broken, but that 50-50 rule is, just, is, 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 is more rare than you think. And be very careful supporting people no matter what. So what do we do? We go to see what Jesus actually says. Matthew 19, verse 1. Now when Jesus had finished saying these things, we're gonna go back and deal with Matthew 18 quite a bit actually. What do you do when a brother sins against you? How do you deal with sin that's existing in the Christian community? Which by the way, it also exists in a marriage. (laughs) Right? The biggest thing Andrea and I have had to get over is exactly what everybody has to get over, which is how do we go through life sinning, confronting, repenting, rinse and repeat? How do we walk through this process of this relational oneness 
in the fact that we're still broken people being guided by the Holy Spirit, directed by the Holy Spirit, and yet there's still a lot of fractures and there's still a lot of, of, of sin that is going on. How do we handle this? Matthew 18 speaks about that, and that conversation is going to creep into our conversation today. So when Jesus had finished saying these things, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. Now, Judea, when you hear that, think religious um, like experts, think about, wow, they're going, he, Jesus is now back in the area where the Pharisees kind of run the roost. They, they, they control uh, the conversations. Jesus heads back to Judea. He's now across the Jordan. A large crowd followed him, and he healed them there. Verse three, and then Pharisees came up, came up to him, and they tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Okay, question number one that you and I have to deal with this morning is actually that statement, any cause. This is why I had to go back and I had to look much deeper into the text because the majority of times when I read a text like that and I'm just kind of reading it and the words that it's used, I just read that and I read, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any reason that you can think of? Isn't that how you kind of read it? For any reason that you can kind of, that's how I read it, isn't that kind of what it says? Actually, it doesn't say that. It actually says, for any cause. And then the more that I begin to study about Pharisees, and about marriage and about divorce, which is this conversation that is about to happen, what you actually find out is that from Deuteronomy chapter 24, there actually has been a lengthy, 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 by the time of Jesus, a lengthy, 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 lengthy discussion about how marriage and divorce takes place in the Jewish community. And there were two schools of thought. One school of thought said, said that you could marry a woman, or divorce a woman, particularly most of the texts will, will describe it as men divorcing their wives, but you can divorce a wife for any cause. So all you have to have is a reason. I just don't want to be with her anymore. I don't like the way she cooks, I don't like the way she looks, I don't like the way she talks, I don't like the way, I just don't like it. Can I leave her? And a bunch of rabbis said, sure. And, and like good good religious people, they come up with a bunch of reasons why it's better that they do that. And they were known as any cause guys. They believed in divorce for any cause. And then there was another school that said, no, 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 you can't get a divorce for any cause. No, there, are, there truly are reasons, and, and this is why it's good for you to even know the heart of God. The heart of God, as you read through the Old Testament, is one that is very serious about protecting those who cannot find any kind of shelter or care. God is the God of the father, uh, the fatherless and the widow. God is the God who cares for those who are not cared for. It's why the communities of God, the, the early Jewish communities in the Christian church decided we are going to care for those who cannot be cared for. We were the first ones to really put a death blow to the uh, abolition of slavery around the world. Christians were the ones that were protecting uh, little children that were left on garbage dump heaps back in the Roman Empire. Why? Because nobody is caring for them and we have to care for them. You deal with the issue of divorce in the first century context and then the earlier ones in ancient history. And when someone is abandoned or put outside, they are left alone. And I don't mean lonely, then now they're spending way too much time on Facebook. I mean like they've got no one to feed them, no one to care for them, no one to protect them. And that's what he should be doing and he's gone now and who's gonna protect him? And, and, and so you have you, you have God stepping in. This is what's very interesting. You have God stepping in. And the Pharisees are asking the question, so are you telling me, Jesus? What do you, what do you think about this? Are you an any cause guy? They're really asking him to take a side. 
and Jesus will here in a moment. Verse four, he answered them, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning, know where Jesus goes back to? Jesus goes back to step one, creation. If you ever wanna know the way that God intended it, we go back to the beginning. This is the way God intended it. This is the way that God wanted it. God didn't want this sin. God didn't want this brokenness. God didn't want this, this disease. God didn't want this divorce. God didn't want this. It's not the way he intended it. Jesus goes back to the beginning. This is the way that God intended it, and by the way, it's how it's gonna end up. In the meantime, there's some brokenness, but look at this. From the beginning, he made them male and female, and he said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So that they are no longer two, but one flesh, and what God, therefore, has joined together, let not man separate. It's pretty clear. What is he saying? Don't get divorced. Yeah, but Jesus, what about the person who, is that you? No, I'm just looking for exceptions that I can get out if I don't like it. Think about it. They don't like it either. I mean, part of, 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 of that religious dialogue uh, with, with the Pharisees meant they, they need to go much further than this, and so Jesus makes it very, very clear Look at verse seven. And so they said to him, why then did Moses, now they're gonna be referring to something that happens. They're quoting Deuteronomy 24.1. Now they're kind of gonna be referring to Exodus chapter 21. Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? Like if, if God always intended it this way, why did he say give a certificate of divorce and send her away? And then he said to them, and this is what we don't wanna hear, because of your hardness of heart? Should have just ended it there. You know, I don't know if I'm allowed to say Jesus should have done this and he didn't do it, but you know? Because of your hardness of heart? That's just sobering right there. I don't, I don't know of a case. I guess maybe there, one might be out there, an exception that we could find. I don't know of a case where a divorce took place other than someone had a hardness of heart. Someone decided they were done. There was no, no way of talking him out of it. Yeah, it happened back in Jesus' day too and even all the way back into Moses' day. So why did God allow this? It's interesting. So if God is the one, and we love to celebrate this, if God is the one that made the idea of, of marriage, then who came up with divorce? Is that the devil? Mosquitoes, flies, and divorce. The devil, right? Is it, is it the devil? Is he the one that did this? It's complicated. I don't know how I could say, well, God did this, but at some level, it really seems to be divorce as, a, as like a plan of God. Does that make sense? Well, why would God plan divorce? Well, I mean, divorce is actually a way like to protect people. Did you know that in the Bible? It's not a way to get out of an unhappy situation. It's a way to protect someone. Because if not, then they're just forever stuck. They're forever in limbo. Now there is this young woman whose husband doesn't want her anymore, and so now she's just left to fend life for herself. And God goes, well, we're not gonna let that happen. We're gonna free her. We're gonna, we're gonna give her another chance. You, you can't treat people like that. Kind of a whole different way of looking at divorce, isn't it? God comes in and he allows this because of 
again, this isn't all guy-girl type thing, right? But typically speaking back in this verse, because of his hardness of heart, God made him give her a certificate of divorce so that she could be free and that someone else could care for her. See the heart of God in this? And Jesus says, it is because of your hardness of heart that Moses allowed these things, but from the beginning it was not so. I love this. Marriage was designed and intended by God from creation. Divorce was at some level, I know the language gets complicated, but maybe not intended, but definitely intended as a way of, of, of stopping the pain, of, of stopping the break after the fall. That God is, is still redemptive in the midst of our hard-hearted brokenness. Though in the beginning it wasn't so, but because you have this tendency to abandon, to abuse, and to neglect people, I'm going to step in and care for them. And I'm going to allow them to get a new start away from you. And then he says in verse nine, and I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality and marries another woman, commits adultery. Now, this is where it gets a little interesting. I promise you, I even feel a little bit like, I'm gonna feel sick for a second here because when I read this text, again, it just seems so clear, right? Except for sexual immorality. That's like me having sex with another woman or Andrea having sex with another man. It's, it's just very clear, right? Except for sexual immorality. And unless someone does that, you cannot get a divorce. But what's, again, important to look at is how this conversation happened in its original context within these pharisaical schools that are debating when can someone get a divorce, when is it possible. And Jesus has already come out and literally used a very technical term, any cause, and he says, I'm not an any cause guy. And then here he says, except for sexual immorality, which is also a actually a technical term. Now I know it's difficult for me to say, it really is. It's very difficult for me to say the standard and the clear reading of the text, it's, it's a little deeper than that. I hate saying that, right? Because I'm usually the guy, come on, just read it and understand it. But there are certain texts where there are either idioms or phrases that come out in the Bible and there's just a deeper conversation that's happening behind them. I, I promise you, I'm not trying to get anybody off a hook or on a hook. But it's good to know, like back in Jesus' day, what did everybody agree upon? It's a little bit of the reason why you and I can be seduced into some really bad thinking on some other issues. For example, on the issue about homosexuality. Why did Jesus never talk about it? Why did he never talk about it? Well, it was because he didn't care about it. Okay, well, you know that's a deep assumption. If anything, what we should say is since Jesus, since Jesus didn't talk about it, most likely, most likely at some level, he just agreed upon the common understanding of the people. He didn't have to say anything about it. There was an agreed upon understanding. It's sin. Leviticus has cleared it up. Same on the issue of marriage and divorce. And the agreed upon understanding for marriage and divorce, that, that phrase about sexual immorality, is one of those exceptions that the rabbis and that the Old Testament teaches in terms of those who are permitted to be free from someone who is neglecting, abusing, or being unfaithful to them. And so Jesus says, listen, like marriage is serious and marriage lasts a long time and I want you to, to respect that and to understand that, but please do not assume that this text teaches, weirdly enough, okay, 
But I would argue truthfully enough, it took me a lot of study to kind of really walk through this and to think through this and read a lot of articles about what was understood way back then that matters so deeply. Don't assume that this text teaches that adultery is the only valid reason for divorce. There were actually four. And you see them in both Exodus chapter 21 and you see them also in 1 Corinthians 7, interestingly enough where the Apostle Paul carries on kind of the same conversation that happens in the book of Exodus, which basically says this, that for those people where there has been some kind of neglect, abuse, abandonment, or any kind of, um, of sexual immorality, that there was the likely, uh, or, or, the, or the permissible option of being free from that relationship. And so both in Exodus as well as in 1 Corinthians, this phrase, and I know this might sound strange to us in our, in our modern uh, way of looking at things, but both Exodus and Paul says that we do not deny, when we remarry, we do not deny our spouse food, clothing, and then the third one would be sex. Both Exodus 21 and 1 Corinthians 7 both say that, listen, these are marital responsibilities. And when these marital responsibilities to care for one to provide them. Now the rabbis had no problem arguing, well how much food do we have to give her? How much clothing, kind of like a clothing allowance, how much shopping do we allow her to do? I read some rather fascinating conversations about how many times, and again, to notice how times have changed, okay? Back in the Old, or back in the old Testament times, in the rabbinical times, um, wives really wanted children like really wanted children, like lots of children. And so the rabbis had to come up with, and they had it by occupation, how many times a husband had to make love to his wife a week. Why? Because it was a spousal responsibility. So the rabbis went down, how much food do you have to provide? And if you didn't provide that much food, then you were neglecting. And, and anyway, Jesus doesn't get into the kind of the nuanced arguments, but it appears that both Jesus and the Apostle Paul understand that except for cases of abuse, neglect, abandonment, and sexual immorality, we stay married. That's what Jesus teaches. That's what Paul teaches. That's what the Old Testament teaches. The questions that Jesus is dealing with, why do I believe that's the case? Not that there's only one reason, but there appears to be a number of reasons. Number one, it's because of these two rabbis back then. One of them was known as Shemai, and the other one was known as Hillel. Shemai, a far more uh, strict and kind of a letter of the law, rabbi believed what everybody, for the, for the majority of parts, what the majority of rabbis believed, which was more of a strict understanding that in these extreme cases, God permitted this. God allowed this. Why? To protect those that were abandoned, neglected, abused, or mistreated. Again, we see this in Deuteronomy chapter 21 and in Exodus, and in Exodus Deuteronomy 24 and in Exodus 21. We see these ideas being presented. And what Jesus is doing in Matthew 19 is he is saying, if you want to know where I stand, I stand with Shemai. I walk down that line. The same language, the same things are used. Um, recently, they've actually uncovered a number of divorce certificates that go back and really expose a lot of what was happening during this temple period. And, and Jesus is saying, listen, marriage matters this much. 
And so this is where you and I get into a really difficult situation because, I mean, I've never had anybody come to me and say, my husband won't allow me to eat. My, 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 my wife won't allow me to, to buy clothing. I never get that. I do have lots of conversations about sexual dysfunction in a marriage. So how, how, do, we, how do we apply this? Like, where do we go when it comes to this? Because, Jim, if you could say to me, it still feels kind of vague to me. Like, again, can you tell me when? Because I, I think I'm neglected. I, I, I think I am the one that's being denied the, 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 the rights to my spouse's body for, uh, for, for my own satisfaction and enjoyment, like Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7. So are you telling me that I can? And, and what's very interesting is, again, we want to live in the shadows. And what really breaks my heart is that there are so many marriages that are truly broken and continue to remain broken because you have no one else to, to talk with. Ryan, last week when he was describing marriage, was saying this is why in the end I need to be married in the context of other people around me. Why? So that I can know what it looks like to be a husband, to, to even to know what to expect from my wife. Because why? Because we're going through this in biblical community. And the majority examples of struggles that go on in marriages, and it happens time after time after time, is that marriages, husbands and wives, are struggling in the silence of their own bedroom or their own living room. On more than one occasion, because as a church, we have tough conversations when marriages are falling apart. We don't just look the other way. Why? Because we love God and we love you. And God's given us a plan and we're going to talk about it. And I'll never forget, on a number of different occasions, I've had someone say, well, thanks for coming now, now that I'm the one that's made the mistake, now I'm the one you're trying to hold responsible, you have no idea the way she's been treating me for the last X number of years. And now that I've decided to finally take matters into my own hands, now you're coming down on me? Honestly, I'm going, that's a good point. Truly, I am. And I have to stop. That's <laughs> where so I'm just begging God, give me something to say. I say, um, I'm sorry. We had no idea. Did you tell anybody? No. How does anybody say, like, we, we're not having sex? How does anybody ever say that? How does anybody say, like, the names he calls me, they just, I mean, they make me feel like less than human. How do I say that? How do I describe the fact that she's way more interested in her career? Where, where do I even have this conversation? Brothers and sisters, this has to be the place. Now I get it. I'm not asking you to have a testimony time and do it in front of all of us. It's another side of why that gather piece is so critical. By far and away, the most depressing and frustrating times are when, as a leader here at the church, we're dealing with just the sweetest family. They're just the cutest family. They're just the nicest family. And then things begin to crumble or fall apart, and they call us usually into their home and we see a side of them that we never saw before. And the language is colorful. And for them, it's normal. When did this, how did we get here? 
Like, how did we get here? And you want to know why? It's because we have this, um, in the church, you, you don't have to be in the U.S. military to develop a don't ask, don't tell policy. The church has been, been working on that for, for, for centuries. We just don't talk about it. We just never discuss it. But here's God's plan. What's amazing is, in marriages, we, we, we talk about this in Matthew 18, but this is God's plan. I wanna give you God's plan. This is how God has a plan for correction and restoration that only, doesn't only exist between a brother and a brother or a sister and a brother, but actually between a husband and a wife or a husband and a wife who is suffering and a husband and a wife who is being sinful and the community that comes around them lovingly saying, listen, we need to work and save this marriage. The plan goes like this. Sin enters in, always does. Sin enters in. It's happened in our marriage. Andrew, remember that time you sinned? Now, I haven't done it yet, but Andrea, it happened once. So what happens? What happens when sin comes in? Think Matthew 18. When sin comes in, confrontation. Don't think mad, don't think angry. Tears streaming down your face, but we talk about it. And the truth comes up, and when sin, when I sin, and all of a sudden I am confronted by that truth, the Bible expects me to, as a follower of Jesus Christ, to what? To do this, to repent. And then what do I have? I have peace. Like this is what it's supposed to look like. I sin and I'm confronted and then I repent and then there's peace. But that's not always the case. Sometimes people decide to harden their hearts. That's what Jesus says in the text, isn't it? And that from that hardening, I'm not gonna change, I'm not going to, uh, she's gonna have to first and it just, oh, okay, this is not going well. You get the natural consequences from that. You don't get peace, though. No, you're, you're, you're building walls. You're, you're creating a defense. You're coming up with, this is, by the way, this is not the way that God intended, but God knows how to deal with this. So what do you do? The Bible actually says is that you confront, again, with the truth. And after confronting with the truth, what happens? This is the beauty of it. You get opportunities. What are they? One is repent. This is usually Andrea, right? She gets it wrong. And then I explain it to her, and then she gets it right, and we're at peace again, right? That's how it works. Takes two times, but you know what? I forgive her, okay? <laughs> Love ya. Um, <laughs> so you got the repent, and then there's peace, but you know what? I mean, honestly, sometimes with me, it's just, it's just, it's just getting worse. So there becomes this hardening, and the consequences keep becoming more severe, don't they? So what happens? I mean, this is the beauty of it. What do we do? We confront with the truth. And then what happens? You got one more opportunity. And notice how, I love it. I mean, honestly, there's a repent and peace and repent and peace and repent and peace. And then on the other side, there's just this harden, hardening, then finally completely hardened, all of these consequences. Now listen, I don't know if you were to even say like, well, what's the number and how many times do I have to? Do you remember that Matthew 18 already kind of describes and Matthew 17 and Luke 17 already describes we don't ask that question? I mean, how many times should God do this for you? How many, <laughs> right? By the way, this is what I find fascinating. Again, we would, never, we would never abandon our kids, but I'm gonna abandon their husband or their dad or their mom. I would never abandon my kids. I'm just gonna abandon their parent. So we, that, that, that's a little bit crazy to me. And when I, I talk to people, again, and I, I do, I tell people all the time, stay in this, stay in this, stay in this. Okay? Again, in normal situations where it is wise to tell someone to stay in this. Don't go to crazy Exceptionville. 
by far and away the majority of us, we need to encourage one another, stay in this, stay in this, stay in this. I can't stay in this one more time. I'm sure you can't. Andrea's felt that way every day of our marriage. I can't stay in this, I can't stay in this, but we stay in this. I can't stay in this, I know, but we stay in this, why? Because God stayed in it for us. That is the picture of I love you um, until death do us part, um, in sickness and in health, for better or for worse, right? This is not an issue of abandonment. This isn't someone whose wife hasn't been home for three years. This isn't somebody who's being verbally assaulted, sexually abused, physically. Again, that's over here. In these instances, what do we do? We act like God would act, and we stay in it. We hold to our vows, and we keep to our truth. It's fascinating the number of Christian people, and again, I credit Facebook for this wonderful discovery, but it's one of those things where we just, we, it happened before Facebook too, but we love to just come along and we see our friends because we believe in the support you no matter what, and we love to tell them, I think you deserve better. I just think you deserve better. Better than what Jesus called us to? Like, do you think, is that what he deserves better? He deserves better than what Jesus had planned for him? You got better than that? I have permission to use every example that I use today. I had a woman who called me one time and she just said, I don't know if I can do this anymore. I mean, it was getting close to that exceptionville, I think. I just don't think I can do this anymore. I mean, I mean, how many times do I have to do this? And clearly, there have been some serious mistakes made on the other side. How many times do I have to do this? And I've got friends, and they're, and, they're, and by the way, they're Christian friends. You're probably even in the room. Christian friends, and they're telling them, you deserve better than this. And I had to ask, are your friends promising to be there when your spouse remarries, and now you've got someone else raising your kids? I mean, at least on opposite weekends. Are they still gonna be there for you then? Instead of like sticking in this and working through this and really believing that the Holy Spirit can change, it's amazing how I'll meet people that will describe a, a difficult marital situation and nothing's gonna change. They'd rather die than change. They'd rather get a divorce than change. Well, this is the way it's gonna be. It's always gonna be. Really, like the Holy Spirit can do nothing? Like, first of all, you've never actually tried. You've never involved the community. You know who used to actually help marriages? the leaders of the rabbinical uh, schools would actually come in and would actually fine husbands for not having sex with their wives. You're not having sex with your wife? We're going to fine you. Now you go home and have sex, or else if you come back here tomorrow, we will fine you double. No kidding. This is how they handled it. And you're going, well, no, 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 I'm, 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 I'm living like this. Okay, then sadly enough, people who don't want to like, get help you know what happens to them? They suffer alone. But this was God's plan for you. Like you deserve better. Are, are, is your friend gonna be there? I mean, because right now you're like 28, 32, you're in your mid-30s and marriage is, is hard and it's difficult, I get it. Ryan was talking about 10 years. Andrea and I are thinking like rookie 10 years. We could do 10 years of marriage in our sleep. You know what I mean? We probably slept 10 years of marriage away. So, I, you know, sorry, Rachel, but 10 years, bah, that's nothing, okay? So here you have this, and what's interesting is is that you've got these couples that are in their 20s or 30s or whatever, and they're, oh, I can't do it anymore. Are you, are they, your friend's gonna be there when you're 57 years old, and your mom 
now has to move back into the house because your dad is on his third or fourth marriage and now you're caring for her because he decided not to. You're getting alone. Your friend's still gonna be there then? Kind of, it's, it's fascinating how much we wanna give advice and we do not realize the implications. You know what God says? You do this. Now, truthfully, there will come a time. I don't know when it is. I'm not saying it never happens. I, I promise you, I'm not saying it never happens. No, there really does come a time where abandonment is clear. Like for those of you that wanna say you have no idea what it's like, you're not divorced, I know. But I know what it's like to have someone that I dearly love, like a son, actually, <laughs> go through this and just breathe, right? And when that happened in our family, all I had was Jesus to go back to. And not just his comfort, but his plan. Dad, what do we do? We continue to pray and we continue to hold out. We don't seek this. Well, son, you're the one that's gonna have to walk down this road, but here's what I'm thinking we do is we just keep waiting and we keep waiting and who knows, it may get so hardened on her own heart that in the end, it'll kind of take care of itself outside of our hands, but we don't, son, I'm begging you, please don't give up on what Jesus says. Easy for you to say, preacher boy. I know, I, I promise you, I'm not even gonna argue with you. But he said it first. Just so we're clear, he said it first. I don't want you to miss out on the opportunity of a redemption or a restoration because you couldn't take it anymore. Again, I'm not trying to tell you exactly when. I'm not trying to tell you you blew it. I'm just telling you I know of some people with some pretty amazing stories. She was just a few months pregnant, maybe even weeks pregnant, <clears throat> with her third child, two young boys. She didn't know it at the time. She had a little girl inside of her. And one day, the police come to the door, and they say, your husband has been arrested for sexual contact with a minor. And he goes to jail for 20 years. And I'm talking to her, and I said, um, I gotta ask you, why'd you never leave him? And she said two things. Number one, because I promised on my wedding day, I'm thinking, I don't even know if I promised this on my wedding day. Like she promised on her wedding day for better or for worse. I, I, I literally, like I, I almost wanted to be sick because I'm thinking to myself, I would not have given you this advice. Like I don't know if I would have told you to stick with him. I mean clearly, you even had an exception opportunity, right? And she said, but that was never, she said, according to her, it was never an option. It was just how are we gonna live through this, but it was never an option. So she raises three kids by herself and she waits for him. Now, I gotta also tell you this, this is pretty cool. She says, fathom this, he made it easy. Well, as easy as he could from prison. She had a different story. It's, it's like the woman I know whose husband cheated on her and she said, and don't make it out like this was easy for her to say. It was like, wow, 
you know, I, I guess I knew you would fail me. <laughs> I knew you would blow it. Good thing I put all my hope in Jesus and not you. She's one of my favorite examples. She would actually say to people, to women who suffer, or men who would suffer from a similar thing, this is why you don't put all your hope in your spouse. That's why Andrew and I have always said, should one of us be unfaithful, it's not the end for us. Why? Because I don't have my hope in her. She'll fail me. I will fail her. We have our hope in him. That's why. And so this woman, and I mean, again, it's easy to just say it in an illustration. I just say 20 years. Can you imagine waiting 20 years for him? Raising the kids. When he gets transferred to a different prison, they gotta move to a different place. One of the most amazing moments of my life is watching this man who's now out of prison dancing with his daughter on her wedding day to the song Amazing Grace. What really scares me is my advice to her, even though it might have been biblical, would have robbed her of that story. And I just don't want you to miss what God's powerful, redemptive work can do. I'm, I'm not trying to give us rules and a list of, 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 of things that we have to do as a church. Now, what I'm trying to help us understand and see is that God has a much bigger plan. And let's trust him with it. Let's pray. God, thank you for this time and for an opportunity that we have to be honest about how painful it is. And God, there's just no way, <laughs> no way I could deal with every situation and I know that right now in this room and people from the first service, things are just racing in their mind and they just cannot, um, they've, they've got a reason why their situation is different and maybe it is. And this is why I ask you, God, to do a work that only you can do, which is you speak, you convict. So Father, I pray that we would truly look at your plan and its big picture in our lives. May we believe in change. May we believe in, Father, the work of your spirit. And may we be able to celebrate your amazing grace. May we not be quick to quit, for you are not. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. Before you all run away, I know I went a little bit late, but hey, I told you Drew and Ryan were amateurs at this. If you are a veteran, would you do me a favor and would you please stand? If you're a veteran, it was Veterans Day the other day. Thank you, thank you very much for your service. Uh, it truly is good for us to stop and be thankful, especially at a time when there is, I'm sure you've noticed, some divisiveness in the nation. Um, and I want to remember, uh, to, I want to remind you to remember who you are. So last week Drew came up and it was before the election and he gave us some things to be uh, aware of. He talked about a kingdom and I actually like what our current president said when he was uh, kind of giving a, a debriefing after the election results came out on Wednesday. And he made this statement. He said, now let us remember all that we are not Democrats first, Republicans first, but we're Americans first. I'm sure he is. We're not 
We're not Americans first. What are we? We're Christians first, which means we got a whole other ethic. We got a whole other ethic in terms of how we speak about this, how we talk about this, how we pray about this. And I pray that we truly can be a light and salt to the world around us. No matter what, I guarantee you there are people in this room that are thinking, oh, this is the worst, this is the best thing that has ever happened. Sure, whatever. And I'm not making it light. I'm just saying in light of the shadow, in light of the gospel, in light of God, I promise you, for those of you that think everything is now set right, it's not. And for those of you that think it's the end of the world, it's not. It is still in God's hands. Amen? And therefore, we will give respect where respect is due. We will give honor where honor is due for both past and upcomings, right? We will do this. Why? Because we belong to the greatest kingdom this world will ever see. Live in that kingdom. Love you guys. God bless.